to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston, and tonight I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, the wettest, the drunkest, the Saturday nightest, one of them all, our good pal BFD. How are you doing tonight, man? I have been just just, just slamming work tonight, it, like so intense, so super intense, and looking forward to this, and I've had a couple of beers, and I've got another beer right, Chia, mm-hmm. and so we're going to celebrate the Houston, Texas. Woo! That's fun. I feel like JJ Watt right now. Yeah. Having fun. I'm going to go run through a wall. Making content <laughs> on a Saturday night. Yeah, enjoy that beer. I may drink a beer in two months. We'll see. I've had, I think, two cups of coffee today. I'm trying to learn how to swim laps, and I'm so bad at it. <laughs> and I'm just like screaming underwater, and I'm just swallowing just like a half gallon of pool water. And I, I it just, it, I'm furious just thinking about it again. Wow. So we need to get you a snorkel. That I, I'm actually thinking about getting a snorkel so I can learn my stroke and have to worry about breathing. Because right. it's like once I get the stroke, then I forget to breathe. I'm exhausted because I swam, you know, 20 meters without breathing once. And then I breathe <laughs> and my thing, everything's all screwed up and then I'm, fl- and then I'm sinking. And I've, I'm losing my mind though trying to learn how to do this. It's good for you. Yeah. I guess so. It's also hard being 43 and trying to learn something. I wish I. You're not this. 43. You're like 32 years old. My I'm God. I'm not even that, but I wish I learned how to do this like, <laughs> like 20 years ago, but here we are. Uh, so did you know that Bill O'Brien is Cal McNair's fluffer, the valet driver, the con candy <laughs> mixer, the head coach, the general manager, and most importantly, the emperor of the Houston Texans. First of all, you know, I read that first question and I got really upset because you're, you're clearly stealing my material now. So I'm kind of upset about that. You know, I'm the guy who uses fluffer. I'm the gross old man and you're the cool young dude. So you're really stepping over some lines with that. Or but, he, he's um, he subscribes <laughs> to Blue Chew for Cal McNair and then feeds him, <laughs> feeds him like grapes as he's draped in linens and Turkish fabrics. Oh my gosh, that's just all gross. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I I knew that because Bill O'Brien, Cal McNair does not care. Yeah, well, it's like we've done this show before, and it was if I was Rick Smith, if I was Brian Gain, and now it's if I was Bill O'Brien, and I don't really wish I was Bill O'Brien at all. That's not not any sort of Freaky Friday episode that I wouldn't be a part of. Right. <laughs> You know the you know the best one those movies are. Are you stripping as we're doing this? Is that what's going on? A little by bit. The way? Um, All right, sweet. Did you ever see the movie The Hot Chick? Uh, it's with Rob that... Schneider, and it's like one of those Freaky Friday movies, and it's the funniest one of them all. But I haven't seen that movie since I was like fourteen, and so I don't know if it's still good or not. But the whole point of the movie is he puts on an earring that they are, that has like mystical qualities, and she goes from me like a seventeen year old girl to a forty three year old Rob Schneider. And uh, it's funny. And I think it has a lot to do with, um, a lot, you know, young, young psychology. You have to find your animus in this case. And I think that's what the movie's actually about. I, I have not seen it. Yeah, I don't think it's good. 
but <laughs> it was good, you know, 37 years ago. So, oh my God. So, also, the other thing, too, before we start doing this is that a new CBA could be signed by Monday. I don't think so. Probably not. But we're o- we're operating all this underneath the old rules. And also, the cap this year could go between $8 million and $13 million. It's projected to be somewhere between, I think I read $191 million and maybe $202 million. So, even though the math there doesn't exist. Or I think it's one ninety seven to $202 million. So, the Texans could possibly be able to add an additional player that's like worth $9 million or it just means Yank and Gakwe gets $22 million instead of $18 million this year as well. So there is going to be a, uh, another big cap bump up this season. Well, I think it's going to be funny that they're going to sign Anthony Weaver not only as the defensive coordinator, but also to play defensive line. They're going to give him three years as well. <laughs> that works out. So we're going sim- to play franchise mode, but only simulate and take on the role of one <laughs> Mr. Bill O'Brien. So first off, I don't want to be myopic at all here. I think one of the things I really enjoyed about the conversations that you and I have and also about doing the other show is that like, I think in order to understand even one team, you have to have like a general understanding of the entire as a whole. I think a lot of the right. conversation gets had just talks about the Texans in this vacuum. and uh, th- But you don't really understand like how the Texans work until you know you really understand the Chiefs, for example, or, how the, or the 49ers or those sorts of things. You know, just even like watching on the film, I watched on those two teams. You're like, wow, there are just so many open throws. I mean, and it's just like, oh, look, play action with levels concepts. Look how easy that is. And, uh, oh, look, they have three great receivers. Look how they use trips formations to create open throws for it. Wow, you can do that. So like, there's a lot of things that are really important to understand by thinking about the league as a whole. So I want to take a broad look at everything before we start thinking about how the Texans can improve in 2020. And the first thing here is that Houston was 19th in DVOA and negative 5.8%, 17th in offense at 0.3%, which is the highest rate of Bill Bryan's career. And the <laughs> first time, super genius. And the first time it's been a, a positive offensive DVOA rating. It's taken six seasons for it to happen and you know three entire years of investing everything in the offense for it to happen, but it finally did. Um, they were 26 in defense DVO 8.9% and fifth in special teams DVA 2.9%. Also Houston, you finished 10 and six, but they went nine and three, one score games. So we include the Buffalo bills win only Seattle at 10 and two, one more one score games than Houston did. And they exceed their Pythagorean wins total by 2.2 wins, which was the third highest rank between behind Seattle and green Bay he was first. And green Bay was also the worst 13 and three team I've ever seen. And yeah. uh, I've lived a long life as well too. And they also played the fifth toughest schedule last season, which is something you'd expect to balance out. But next season, they play Baltimore. They play Kansas City. They play New England. They play the AFC North, who's going to have Joe Burrow. The Browns are going to be better, I think, just by regression. Um, the Steelers are going to be better because they're going to have Roethlisberger, and they have a top-five defense right now. And they also play the NFC North. So it's going to be a tough schedule again next season. This wasn't like a one-off thing. So I'm going to say this a million times this offseason. 2019 was not something to build on. Houston has to get better this season. They can't take the same roster and go into next season and expect to have the same results. You know, uh, Deshaun Watson can only carry you so far. There's only so many spell points that he has available to him. So do you kind of agree with this sort of assessment here? Completely, because it's, you know, we got so lucky in 2018. I'm, I'm going to go back to 2018 as well, considering how lucky we were, because we played a bunch of teams who could not throw the ball. And in 2019, we happened to just get lucky with who we played. We played a bunch of backup quarterbacks. Uh, we played... Um, uh, 
Kyle uh, Allen. Minshew, Kyle Allen, Minshew. Philip Rivers of the is kind of a backup quarterback by that point. Yeah, at this point, yeah. And then also, you know, um, uh, Mahomes was hurt when we played them, and they had yeah. a couple of guys out on the defense. So we got really lucky as a team with when we played other teams. And I, I don't. It, it's so it's so fluky to see that happen. But the one score games at some point, the one score games are going to really come back and bite us in the butt. I think. Yeah. And I think in 18 too, I don't have these numbers off the top of my head. I can't remember everything. Again, I've been alive for a while and there's only so many things you remember, but I think they were eight and four and 18 and one score games. And the difference between 18 and 19 was 18. They had an all time great run defense that played bad offenses that ran the ball. Not because they were good at it because it was the safer option. And last year they won a bunch of one score games because Deshaun Watson is, you know, beautiful and he's a golden god. And I think I went back and went over my AFC preview, my AFC South preview. I think the one mistake I had was I really underestimated, you know, Watson's ability to be able to do do what he did this past season. But even then, like, how much longer is that going to last as well, too? And these games are typically coin flips, and I don't think Bill Bryan is, you know, like he makes so many bad decisions in close games. It's weird how it's kind of worked out for him. But I don't really think Houston's in a spot where like they're the one team who's an exception about winning close games, you know. Like they're not like the anti Los Angeles Chargers. <laughs> right. But that's a man. They went three analogy. and seven last year in one score games. Like it's killer. Like they, the only time that they were good at them was in eighteen. And then for the rest of this past decade, they've been awful at them. That's yeah. And it's cool. And it's that the Buffalo Bills game, the playoff game, that's like really the the Light motif for the Bill O'Brien era is like you've got Deshaun Watson doing ungodly things in order to make things happen. And that's what he does to keep up Bill O'Brien. Like, plus is Deshaun Watson does something magical. Yeah. And I, I mean, just like all the fortune they've had with him, too, that some of these games they've won, like just saying about here, remember when Bram Whedon made that like 50 yard sideline pass right. <laughs> to set Houston in field goal position, beat Tennessee. And then also remember when uh, Name redacted through that interception through the hands like Clayton Geathers to Ryan Griffin to complete that comeback, you know? Like, there's just been so many weird things that have happened since he's been the head coach here, and I think eventually it's going to catch up to him, even though if it hasn't, and I think, like, we're looking at it again this year, and it's not to say that the Texans are going to be a worse team automatically in 2020. It's just saying that they're this team in 19, if you play the season over again or if you take this exact same team in 2020, you're not going to get the same results at all. And a lot of things had to go exactly right for them to even go 10 and six and win the division and you know, everything else, you know? Yep. Agree. So I also, think this is kind of like a weird spot for Houston to be in. You know, currently they have $63 million in cap space. They don't have a first round pick, but they have a, a second round pick. They may have two third round picks um, because of the a Matthew compensatory pick. And then also, well, they may, they're going to have one third round pick because they trade the other one for Duke Johnson so he could get you know, seven touches a game. But they're going to get one for Matthew. They could have got another one for Jackson, but he and the season on IR, I think partially to kind of stick it to Houston. Probably. After, after he splattered them and beat them single-handedly <laughs> uh, like the week before. Now he's hurt after he looked completely fine. And so uh, this is a team that's missing its first draft pick. It still has a second round pick, but it's... It's they're in a weird spot because they're having to balance the future with the fact they have to get better this year. And Deshaun Watson's contract, he's in, is coming up to an end. This is me his fourth year in the league coming up. They're going to extend before the fifth year option. Tun sold this is his last year in his rookie contract. And Watson's expected to make thirty six million dollars per year when he gets his extension. 
And Tunsil's contract valuation uh, via spot rack is $18.3 million. And I know Taylor Wan's the highest offensive tackle right now. He signed a five-year, $90 million contract. And Tunsil's going to dramatically exceed that whenever he gets his extension. Um, so like, how much should the future dictate this offseason? Are you looking at this as a fact that the Texans need to get better this season and they should take on money and expect the seller cap to go up and can always shed space in the future to deal with Watson and Tunsil and even Will Fuller, who's going to be on the fifth, his fifth year if they decide to keep him as well? Or do you look at this as, no, we should kind of balance this out and kind of make more contracts for there or like only for this season that will be free agents next year or we should kind of wait until the Watson Tunsil extensions and then kind of use that. Once we understand that and the new CBA and the salary cap space, we should go from there. This is ultimately, this comes back to trading all that draft capital, right? And the two first round picks for Tunsil are the, the well, the two first round and one second round one pick second. for Tunsil. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the picks that we give up for Watson even, is that you have to build a team in today's NFL from the draft. And we are trying to build it right now by making a bunch of trades. And it's, it's, it's not just the fact that we, we traded for Tunsil. Like, that was fine. I mean, Matt's going to go off for probably 30 minutes on why it was a stupid trade, and I get that. But the third round for Duke Johnson, that has other costs associated with it. The third round pick for Gary Conley was just flat out stupid. And not getting anything for Jade, uh, for Clowney, uh, was look, all this stuff is going to come back and bite us in the butt. And mm-hmm. two of the biggest reasons are because of what you just said is that Watson's going to get 34, uh, according to Sport Track, is going to get, I'm sorry, 36 million expected and Tunsil 18.3. Look, I think that Tunsil number is going to be 4 million more. Oh, he can so, ask for whatever he wants. Oh, yeah, because he's got O'Brien has all to the leverage. Yeah, all the leverage. So, to answer your question, I mean, like, what what do we do? We're going. We need to improve this team in multiple facets. What we haven't done is we haven't done a good job investing in the future, and especially what we haven't done well is drafted. So we drafted Titus Howard to play left tackle. He's now at right tackle. We 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 drafted Sharping to play. I think right tackle. He's now a guard. Lonnie Johnson is is just trash. One of the worst corners in the league last year. I've got no optimism for him, and so we drafted poorly. We have not done a good job. We kept on to guys like Jonathan Joseph a year too long rather than letting him go and replacing him. This is not a team that's in a position to be talent-laden like it should have been. And so what do I say? I say next year, go get a bunch of um, Hessians, I guess is the best word. Go get the mercenaries. Yeah. Go get the guys. Play them, pay them one year. Go for it next year. See what happens because when it comes to 2021, we're going to be really, really against a rock and hard place when it, salary cap wise. Yeah, and that's an interesting way to look at the season. I this offseason, I think Houston's in a spot where they could probably pay big for one guy, and then everything else, it's like, yeah, we have to pay kind of one year contracts and that sort of thing, and see how the salary cap works out for the rest of it. Um, you know, with Watson and Tensil's extensions coming up and having the the first round draft picks. Everything else. Remember when Ryan Grigson said like three years ago, it's really hard to build a team whenever you pay Andrew Luck this much. Right. Bill O'Brien's going to say the exact same thing after, 
I would say like by 2023, because he's still going to be the head coach, of course. And oh, yeah. He's going to be like, yeah, you try building a team around whenever you pay Watson $36 million and Tensel $22 million. It's very difficult to do. And he's going he's gonna to say that it's going to be hilarious. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'll, probably be, I'll probably be cackling in the middle of a gas station bathroom and you know, some weird spot in New Mexico at that point, but it's going to happen eventually. And so I think it's also kind of like they, they're like, this is one of the most bizarre off seasons I've ever seen in the league where you're just like looking at a team that has spots set up to be good for next season, but at the same time is trying to balance, you know, the future all while not having the draft picks to do so. And I think you brought a really great point with Clowney where not getting enough for him and they didn't get enough for him because they turned him after the contract extension. And I mean, if you look at Kansas City, they got a second round pick for D Ford. Clowney's like a 1.75 times better than Ford. And then the Chiefs got, gave up, you know, a first round, I think a second round for Clark and Clowney's much, player, much better player than Clark was too. And so it was all just because how they timed everything that affected them last season too. So I don't know. It's, it's a, it's definitely kind of like a, a weird spot to be in. The other thing too about next season is, Personally, I think this is probably the best chance Houston's had to win a title since 11. And that's, you know, before your shot broke his foot and everything. I think even more so than last year, this year is uh, because they have cap space that they last year should have been. But the problem was that they didn't spend their cap space until never. And they didn't realize they had to fix the team until right before the season started. Like they just found they had a test the next day and start studying for it immediately. And, uh, and gave up their future to do so. But I mean that the fact that like even though Houston was only 16th in DVOA, even though they were only around like 16th in points scored, the talent here, the talent's there on offense. You know, they have a competent enough offensive line. I think Howard, you know, and Sharping have to get better, but they're both like they're at least they're starting caliber offensive linemen. Um, they have three really great wide receivers in Hopkins, Fulton, and Stills. They can always add tight end free agency, but the problems with their offense, of course, is the play design, the scheme. The just the play calling and how they use their talent is the issues there. It's not the the personnel and talent. So like this, everything's set up for Houston to have a top five offense. And then if you can get even like a you know, let's say you get a mediocre pass defense or mediocre defense out of you, top five offense, like that's a potential to be able to be like a Super Bowl contender out of it. So I do think Houston has the opportunity to you know, make a big splash this upcoming season. They just have to make a lot of big decisions and really have to knock out this offseason entirely in order to do so. And then also, of course, just be better at their jobs whenever the games actually start too. I think we're going at some point, like in, in two or three years, we're going to look back and we're going to say that Brian Gain is actually the guy, as much as we rag on Bill O'Brien, that Brian Gain is the guy who really burned the Texans down. I firmly believe that. My, but see, my only thing is that I don't know what, like him and O'Brien were working together. Like they were friends and that sort of thing. You would think. And so like, I don't know how much of that is like O'Brien said, we need to build a team around Watson. This isn't a short term thing. Like, you know, let's make decisions to set up a cornerstone or whatever for it. I really have no, like the whole thing was so bizarre, like how they switched everything immediately after not spending any cap space, after just sitting there and watching all these guys get signed and not making any moves. And so it's either game just being very like Chris Ballardy where it's like, that's too much. That's too much. That's too much. Or, you know, they had this idea that they were going to, that they were together for the long term until O'Brien, you know, went away for a weekend and decided he didn't want to do that at all anymore. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. Like I think Gain did a really great job with his first off season, that draft class. And even the draft classes past year was better than I thought it would be. Uh, I mean, the big worst decision was taking Johnson because 
Johnson wasn't a guy who could play right away, and they need a guy who could play right away, and he may be good in the future. And I think Sharping and Howard were good sign, were good draft picks, but they couldn't play the positions they were drafted to play, as you mentioned. Howard couldn't play left, Sharping couldn't play right. And one of the things I wrote about whenever I wrote about Sharping, I didn't like him as an offensive tackle because I didn't think he'd be good at professional offensive tackle. And they had to move him to guard. And it was similar like wide and like Dalton Risner too. And he ended up being a, a very good good guard as well. Um but yeah, it's it's weird though. The two that whole that what happened there was really weird. And I wish like Houston had better beat reporters that actually said some things that actually provided information at all. Cause I still have no idea about that. Even the client thing still doesn't entirely make sense at all either, you know. Right. And and the whole point about you 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 know Titus Howard and Max Sharping is because they have when you draft a guy, tackles have more value, so you're drafting higher yeah. up. And so that's why I don't say it's a good draft because they were out they were over paying from a draft perspective, overdrafting guys that weren't valued as much by other teams. I mean, of course somebody's gonna come back and say, Oh, well, yeah, well, I heard, you know, Titus Howard was, you know, the next guy on the Eagles list or something like that. Well, whatever. Well, yeah, and but, also the next guy on the Eagles list is a guy who can sit there for a year and have to play right away because they have Peters and Johnson, and you can teach right. them to play left tackle. It's not somebody you have to play that spot right away. And I think Diller could have walked in and pass-blocked as a left tackle right away. And all the all the Twitter clips you see of Diller being bad, you know what he's doing? He's playing right tackle, and he hasn't played right tackle his entire life. And he was their, their only option to be able to, do the, to play that spot. He was bad in that situation. Yeah, and it's not. This isn't Madden. You can't take a guy and he's a left tackle for his entire life and put him at right tackle and expect him to succeed. You just can't. This is not Madden world. Yeah, it's the Julian Davenport dilemma, and uh, right. I'll always stand by it. I, that week one decision. I still think was the dumbest decision <laughs> the franchise has ever made by going by putting him at right tackle and ranking at left tackle and just effectively ruined their entire careers for the Texans from that point on. Uh, so, so far the Texans have made two. Off-season moves. The first is they cut Vernon Hargreaves. Hold on, hold on. I need to mute myself because I'm going to start hurling. <laughs> so they cut Vernon Hargreaves because Hargreaves was under contract with his fifth-year option. So he would have, he would have been making like eleven million dollars a year or so. Uh, that was. Would you have done that? Would you have cut Vernon Hargreaves? I would have cut him. I would have also kicked him off the team. Yeah, Hargreaves was. He like made like <laughs> three plays that Jonathan Joseph couldn't make. And so I think from that aspect, he was worth signing in the regular season. But no, he wasn't good last year. Look, I could have made three plays. I, I'm <laughs> 10 years old than Jonathan Joseph. and My wheels aren't as dead as Joseph's. I mean, my goodness. I think the worst play, or not, I think the saddest play I saw Joseph make was that, I think it was a run, running a play against Tampa Bay where he just like did this and just dolphin slapped him. And he, didn't, <laughs> he, like, he just didn't want to make a tackle at all whatsoever. I think he's a guy who just likes being in the locker room and hanging out with the guys, you know, and doesn't want to lose that. When you're that old as a cornerback in the NFL, uh, duh. But yeah, I would have cut Hargreaves too. I think it was a no-brainer. Um, he wasn't very good last year at all. He was better in Houston than in Tampa, but in Tampa for his entire career, he was one of the worst corners in football. And like, I think he was, it was a good decision signing him because they were desperate for cornerback play. But this is also a team that missed Philip Gaines last season so uh, it doesn't say a whole lot the other thing houston did was they re-signed brand dunn for four million dollars a year they can get out of this contract in 2021 and it's pretty much the exact same signing as angelo blackson now brand dunn is the team's nose tackle now because after jj watt was hurt dj reader pretty much played defensive end he played some nose here and there whenever dunn got tired but 
Reader was primarily like a three technique and a four eye after that happened. So would you have given Brandon Dunn $4 million a year? I'm just trying not to bust out laughing. I mean, come on, come on. Let's just move to it. Let's just move to the question. So we have one question because it's Saturday and a lot of people have lives. They're at dinners with their, their significant other. They're playing Xbox online and, um, try, try not to use slurs, but not covered in corn oil, but actually so lame, but actually saying slurs because they're in the privacy of their own home and it's their opportunity to do so. Uh, they're also maybe watching the Irishman, not having as much fun as we're currently having. So we have one question tonight and it was from at Stroh's fan, you know, and he asked, will they give me a nice contract if I played defensive line? Just okay. too." Angelo Blackson, Brandon Dunn. Look, I, I get it. I get it. We need guys. We need players on the team. I get it. <laughs> but when you talk about, start talking about money, would you rather have Ngakwe or Whitney Merciless, Brandon Dunn, and Angela Blackson? Yeah. I mean, that's not even a question for me. There are, there are 50 guys. There are probably 100 guys that can do the same thing that Blackson and Dunn can. And we just gave them guaranteed money. Well, Blackson last year, of course. And Whitney Merciless can't win one-on-one battles. So you have to have people who can create turnovers who can create havoc and the what the texans have focused on is guys who can find the stadium and it drives me up the freaking wall because it's so stupid it's so short-sighted there are marginal guys on your team that's blackson that's done and at this stage of his career as he goes in i think it's 31 age 31 season next year merciless none of those guys add any value above being just a guy but they've all got guaranteed money. And that means that less we have to spend on free agency and that takes away what we can, you know, leverage with, or we're going to have to pay Watson money. We're going to have to pay Tunsil money. This hurts. These are the types of signings that hurt the Texans. I don't care if it's three or 4 million for two years that guaranteed these hurt. These are stupid decisions. Mm-hmm. I-, I love it. And I think this is the best way to look at it too. It's not that, you're giving Dunn $3 million. It's the opportunity cost of giving Dunn $3 million. And like, look, I understand it's easy to get his contract after a year. It's easy to get rid of guys to make the salary cap work. You can even go over the salary cap for you know a year and pay some sort of tax or whatever the penalty is. Um, there's things to get around it. But like, with, whenever you're in a situation where, where like you just mentioned, like you're paying Merciless $12 million this year. You're paying Dunn $3 million. That's $15 million. And that's you know, potentially yank and Gawkway at that moment. And that, and like whatever, these contracts don't seem like a big deal whenever you just see 3 million, but whenever you add them all up, that's whenever they become a big deal. And so I think it's just, it's just a perfect example of opportunity cost where that money that you're giving Dunn $3 million can be used elsewhere. And Dunn was fine last year. Like all he does is he takes on a block and doesn't get moved backwards and he doesn't get driven back in double teams, but he doesn't penetrate. He doesn't make any negative plays in the backfield. He gives like Bernard McKinney a slightly easier time. And McKinney's already really good and doesn't need a whole lot of help to be able to make plays as well, too. And, uh, and I think you can get the same sort of production with, you know, just like just about anybody, you know? Like, and so that's kind of the issue there. Or just find somebody just like Brand Dunn because you pay Brand Dunn $500,000 the previous three seasons. It's not that, and it's not that difficult to do. And also, if you love Anthony Weaver so much and talk so much about how he can develop defensive linemen, just let him develop somebody else, you know? There's plenty, nobody wants to pay anybody who weighs 330 pounds anymore. 
And uh, and teams don't play 3-4 base defense that much to begin with also. And the Texans do have competent run defenders around him already. So, yeah, I don't like the I don't like the sign not because it's like an awful signing. It's the accumulation of these signings which makes things difficult because you know, you could take a flyer on a cornerback for you know, $7 million, but now you can only give him four because you gave Dunn $3 million. It, This hurts the edges. Anything that hurts the edges, that's the difference between a good NFL team and a bad one. It's really you're making the good decisions at the edges of your roster and and finding value where you should not find value. Like, you know, Richard Sherman is a fifth-round pick kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I get it. That's an extreme example, but... But it's why it's why you don't take Xavier Crawford in the fifth round. It's why you don't draft Jalosby in the seventh round when you can you sign him as a as a free agent anyways. You know, it's why you don't take Lonnie Johnson in the second round. Yeah, and anyway, and I I think Johnson could be good because he has the size and athleticism. (laughs) But like he again again like the problem with Johnson signed last year like we talked about it and it was evident after you watched the videos like this guy can't play right away. This guy's gonna need a few years to the Texans need guys who can play right now. And uh and they didn't have that all whatsoever. I also I think Johnson also looking at the the cornerbacks available in free agency, I think he used to be better off going to play like cover three or cover four and just like give up on trying to play man coverage with the personnel they have right now. I don't even know what they could play and do well right now. Because it Oh God! Gibson can play some cover three safety, and then he can, can read, play Robert. when he's healthy. When he's healthy, I, I just think if you're going to have Johnson become a starting quarterback, I think his best chance to do so is to be in a cover three scheme and right. just play the sideline, be tall and fast. I get it. I get it. Uh, and but my favorite stat for Johnson, I think he average. Actually, why am I going to say I think? I know. Right. I know, right. I know what you he know. did. I got here. I could. I would say I'm going to edit all this out. But I'm not going to. I think it's all part of the fun. Uh, so Lion Johnson Jr. allowed 6.5 yards after the catch last year, which was this is out of every cornerback out there too, which was 197th. And this is according to Football Outsiders fans <laughs> charting data. And I don't know if they have 197 or 199. But one of the things I thought was really fun, it's like, oh yeah, he's big. He's gonna be able to tackle well. He can't tackle well. And it was like this in Kentucky as well too. He's like he's a great athlete, but the football stuff isn't there for him and. I think the best chance they have is for him to play cover three. Um, so anyway, some noble free agents. The Texans have a lot of free agents this year, but I wouldn't really call I these are my words as notable, but I don't really think any of these are notable. Like the Texans could go all of next season without these guys, and I think they'd be okay. So the free agents they have are Lamar Miller, uh, you know, twenty seven years old, ACL tear, Carlos Hyde, who's definitely gonna be back for four and a half million dollars a season. Right. Darren Fells. AJ McCarron and fellas caught seven touchdowns. His longest reception was for 24 yards and red zone touchdown rate tends to vary year to year. So that's going to be fun whenever he gets an extension to, uh, but AJ McCarron, Taiwan Jones, the Buffalo's superhero, Deandre Carter, Bradley Roby, Jonathan Joseph, Arcavius Mingo, Brandon, who has resigned Jalila die, the third safety who, you know, their third safety plays a lot of snaps in this defense. DJ Reader, Chris Clark, Robert Johnson, Dylan Cole. So I guess of these guys, the notable ones are Bradley Roby and DJ Reader. Where do you stand on the DJ Reader decision? Are you anti-resigning him, or would you want to keep him around for uh, for you know ten million dollars a year or so? Well, this is one of those edge roster decisions. Like to give Brandon Dunn money means you've, you're pretty much going to uh, let DJ Reader walk, and I, I get it. 
you know, DJ Reader has a certain role that he plays. He's a run stuffing guy. He's he's he snacks like in the middle, right? But he can also get to the quarterback with the great with with the correct personnel around him. And he did a lot of damage in the first half of the season before he wore out because he was freaking carrying the defensive line for the first five or six games, yeah, especially like, after what after the Atlanta game, he is pass rushing disappeared completely. It, it was he was done. He was done physically. So he's somebody who can help you if he's got guys around him, but he didn't. And uh, again, you have you guys you have guys that are talented like DJ Reader, and then you have guys like Brandon Dunn. And so now you've already given four million dollars to Dunn. So Reader's probably off the scale. I was saying it early and often. DJ Reader's not a Bill O'Brien guy. I don't see him coming back. I think the brand, uh, the Dunn signing solidifies that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my thing to say all off season on Twitter is. According to my sources, blah, 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 blah. Right. Or I'm also right. going to be like, this player signed with this, you know, just say the th- the same things all the beer reporters say. Uh, but according to my sources, I don't think Reader's going to stay. And like, personally, I wouldn't re-sign Reader because he's going to cost maybe, you know, $12 million a year. He's one of the best run stoppers in football. But what did we just watch? Stopping the run isn't that important. Running the ball isn't that important. Throwing the ball is better than running the ball. That's why the Chiefs won the Super Bowl last year. They have the 29th ranked defense by DVOA or run defense by DVOA. They were, I think seventh in pass defense and they played against this, you know, spectacular run offense from San Francisco and the 49ers scored 20 points because Garoppolo couldn't throw against single high safety sets and they just stacked the box. And so like, that's, what's important right there. It's not stopping the run. It's like if reader continue rushing the passer, like he did the first five weeks of the season, I'd say for sure you have to, you know, sign him forever. Um, and then also it was weird too because like they had an interior pass rush with him and Omenehu going, and then Omenehu kind of dropped off too as well, and like that kind of made up for not signing Sheldon Richardson or Malik Jackson, but that disappeared after the first five weeks of the season whenever Reader's production went away. So I wouldn't resign Reader just because rush the passer is more important. He's not he didn't do it for the entirety of last season. He's never done his career all that well. And so as much as I love watching him play and things he does as a run defender, I don't think it warrants being that much money for a player with the skill set that he has. Yeah, but I would have rather had DJ Reader than I would have had Angelo Blackson and Brandon Dunn. For sure. So again, it's, you, you're giving guys guaranteed money who don't deserve it. Yeah. And Blackson, they can cut this year and save $4 million. They can get out of that contract this year, like how they get out of the Dunn contract next year. But yeah, I agree. Like if you're like, I'd rather, I'd rather, and then the Wendy Mercer signing already is bad. I do oh, need, terrible. I need to write that article, not this week, but next week that that signing already kind of hurts. Um, the other noble free agents, Bradley Roby. So Roby played for $10 million last season and he had a good season, you know, as far as being a number one cornerback. What would you be looking at into keeping Roby long-term in Houston? Well, I think the bigger factor is, is does Roby want to be in Houston? And I think he was the guy who came out and said, there is no way in hell I'm, I'm staying in Houston. Right? Something along those lines. But then it kind of was retracted that nobody knows if he actually said there or not because, I don't know, you just see so much stuff on the internet that probably isn't true. Well, I, it was Lance Zierlein is the guy who oh, said it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He reported it. And you know what? I'm going to buy what Lance He's typically right about things. He's, gotcha. he's typically pretty on it. So that tells me a lot about the defense or Bill O'Brien or things that, that Roby's not going to be back. So I think, I think to me, Roby's kind of mute, moot, not mute, moot, because we don't even have a chance to assign him because 
one of the things is is that when you sign a guy for one year, ten year, a one year, ten million dollar contract, is that you're not really saying I love you. Yeah. Right. Or I'm just gonna we're just gonna have a 16 night stand, and then we'll see how things work out. And I think that's how Roby also partly feels. And so I can see it from his perspective. Like if the Texas really wanted him, we'd have given him three years. 30 million or something like that. And I would have been good with that. I would have been fine with that. But it was that lack of commitment is going to come back and haunt your ass if the guy plays well. And so we should have brought in more cornerbacks during the offseason. We talked about it last offseason. Should have brought in more guys and had a bigger. But look, if you see a guy who's who's can play good ball and Roby is good on the inside, he's not so good on the outside. But if you see a guy like Roby, you just can't say, here's one year and 10, come back for some cuddles. Because it's not going to work. Yeah, I'm lonely. What are you doing? Like, you can't... This <laughs> Cornerbacks aren't booty calls. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Also, I wonder, too, maybe they offered Robbie, like, three years, 27. He's like, no. It's like, I'm a... What the kids say, they say I'm a bet on myself. Maybe that's what Robbie was trying to do. It's like, I I feel like I can you know, have a good year in Houston, and I can make, you know, like, four years, $16 million a year after the season. I think that's what he's expecting I'm, my thing with Roby is that I don't know other options Houston really has at this point at the cornerback spot. And then with Roby, like he can't, he's not going to be a number one cornerback on a great pass defense or even a good pass defense. He's even the number one cornerback on a bad pass defense, like what Houston had last year. And if he is on a on like a really great pass defense, it's because your cornerback group is fantastic or your your pass rush is fantastic. And the Texans don't have that right now either. And so like I don't want to give Roby you have four years, like $60 million or whatever, you know, because I think you're, you're handcuffing yourself to a player that can't play that role, can't consistently lock down to one wide receivers. And the thing he did best at was he had that pick against New England, that pick against Tampa and the other drop against Tampa. And he also like locked down Tyreek Hill with another safety bracketing him the entire time. But like he wasn't, he's he's good, but he's not number one cornerback. Here's $16 million a year. Good. The problem is that the cornerback market is all a bunch of old guys and Roby's 28 and it's all a bunch of old guys who just got done making $12 million a year or so. And so like, and the Texans don't have any talent in the cornerback room. So I don't know. I don't, I don't like the idea of resigning Roby long-term. I just don't know what other options Houston has other than wait for more guys to get cut and then just sign three different cornerbacks and, you know, pray or like, AJ Boya gets cut and he's healthy and you get him for $6 million a year, you know, like there just isn't a lot of options really available. Nope. That's why you cannot. It's just so frustrating. That's why the draft is so important. You should be drafting cornerbacks two, three, every draft like clockwork, regardless, because mm-hmm. you can take those guys. If they don't pan out at corner, if they don't pan out outside, you can move them inside. If they don't pan out inside, maybe you move them to safety Every draft should be cornerback focused, in my opinion. And this is exactly why, you know, taking a guy like Lonnie Johnson was just a complete fail. And I'm going to keep hammering this, but it's just the fact that, you know, we lost Andre Howell during last offseason. We lost Tyron Matthew in the last offseason. And the guy we drafted to make up, the two guys were Xavier Crawford. He's playing playing on three teams in one year, his rookie year. Yeah. I mean, this is like just, that's killer. That kills rosters right there. Yeah, and I mean, like, it was kind of fun. They did miss Philip Gaines last year. Joseph is 36, and they expect him to be their cornerback number two, um, which, of right. course, didn't work. And they have Gary and Conley next season as well because they traded their own pick for him. And I think Conley was really Sharice Ridas, where 
a lot of his stuff was kind of fool's gold where it's chasing back and defensing passes. And it's an important skill to have being able to play the ball in the air as a cornerback. But to get beat as often as he got beat last year, I think it's going to kind of work its way back the other direction. Even that Jacksonville game in London, there was, you know, like four plays that game where he was chasing back and made plays. Um, and then you know, there is that, of course, that controversial no call against Oakland as well, where I think like people look at him a lot differently if that's a catch or a pass interference penalty and Oakland wins that game compared to, you know, this year. So I don't know. It's, it's a bad, it's a bad cornerback room right now. It's Conley. It's Johnson jr. Uh, Jonathan Joseph's a free agent. So he's not even there. And then it's like, uh, Keon Johnson, uh, Keon Crossan. Keon Crossan. Yeah. Keon Crossan. I think I was thinking about Kevin Johnson. That we gave up the draft pick for. This year. Yeah. We six gave round up the pick. Draft pick for. A six round pick for him. But yeah, like there's just no cornerbacks on this team. The safety plays good, and then you find a third safety there. But I don't know. We'll talk more about cornerbacks available here in a second. What about the rest of these guys? Let's play real quick. Uh, lightning round. Lamar Miller, keeper, keeper, go, go. Carlos, I mean, it, it, we we should be keeping him. We should be. But Bill O'Brien doesn't know how to use Lamar Miller. That's why he has Carlos Hyde. Yeah, he used Lamar Miller. Use Carlos. They use Lamar Miller like Carlos Hyde, and they should have been using him like Duke Johnson, but with like five more carries a game. Right. Or five more touches a game or so. And poor Lamar Miller. Like, he's a guy who could have had an awesome career, uh, and then he just picked the wrong team to go to. So, my, a, a team that made him gain like 20 pounds and have, you know, 225 carries a season or so, you know. Yep. They ruined his career. Bill O'Brien ruined his career. Yeah, watch those highlights if you get the chance of him in Miami at all, especially in that Houston game. You're like, who is this guy? It's an entirely different player. So Carlos Hyde, stay or go? He's gonna stay. We're gonna give him. We're gonna give him a four-year, sixteen million dollar contract with eight guaranteed, probably. If you were Bill O'Brien, would you keep him or would he be gone? If I'm Bill O'Brien, yeah, well, that, that's what I'm saying is that they're going to give him money. If it's me, yeah, you personally, I, I see the if, guy as fung. I see him as fungible. I, I see him as just a guy. Yeah, I guess the, the idea here is we're playing. What would you do? But yeah, I I wouldn't keep Hyde, but I think he stays. I wouldn't keep Miller. I think Miller is gone, but I do think Hyde's going to sign like a three-year, twelve million dollar contract. Yep. Um, I wonder how. Let me see how old Carlos Hyde is real fast too. He's twenty-eight. He's gonna be no. Year. He's gonna be thirty next year. 30 is, oh gosh. Yeah, this was his age 29 season, 245 carries. And he's a guy who's had injury as well too, injuries as well too in his career. And scrubbiness. <laughs> Alfred Blue's younger than he is. Did you know that? Oh, Jesus. Oh, don't even, don't even. Did you know that? Uh, no. Darren, Darren Fell, stay or go? I would personally, I would keep him because I, but I would use him differently, but I think he's such a, he's so valuable as a red zone option. I would absolutely keep him. I, I have him go. Cause I think wearing is talented. I think the two Jordans are more talented. Uh, but it's like, I mean, fellas had this red, all the red zone touchdowns, but those things don't stick, you know? And I think some of them were also like two yard catches and that sort of thing. And they're boxing out and like he, he was good, like timing his routes and finding space with Watson. But my biggest problem with Bells, and I think you mentioned it just now, it's how you'd use him every, every single time he's pulling from the flex wing position. Those plays are just two yard runs. Like he, like I, they continue to use him this fashion and he was awful at those blocks over and over again. I think one of the keys, and this is going to sound very stupid, 
in the 2020 season is if uh, Gil Gillespie can do anything as far oh, as receiver. Because like, he could block some linebackers a little bit. And if they can use him as a wide receiver, even a teeny bit, I think that'd be very helpful. And this is me speaking from the Bill O'Brien perspective and how he runs this offense. But uh, I would I wouldn't keep fellas. I'd rather see Warren make those blocks and Aikens and Thomas and Gillespie instead. I don't agree. I don't disagree. I should say, but I don't think Warren's ever going to see the field as a Houston Texan under Bill O'Brien. I don't think so either. And it's not a Waring thing. It's a Bill O'Brien thing. It's a Bill O'Brien thing. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Waring's just too hot. He's too hot for Houston. He's too sexy. Yeah. He's, he's too hot. <laughs> he's too sexy for Bill O'Brien. Uh, AJ McCarron. <laughs> Cut him and then shoot him into the sun. Yeah. He'll be. I mean, there is there a worse like backup like skill-wise than A.J. McCarron for Deshaun Watson. Is there like the worst? Bill Bryan just had, he just has that thing he can't get rid of. Like he loves quarterbacks like that. And like Tall, he just, white, he just can't give it up. He can't give it up. Nope. nope. And that's racist. I get it, but geez, he's got, he's got a, he's got a style. He's got an image. Bill O'Brien does about what his quarterback should look like. And they don't look like Deshaun Watson. No, not at all. They're either smart and bad or tall, white with the strong arm prototype or, and bad tattoos. He likes bad tattoos. Don't forget. He about does. That. He seems to. <laughs> uh, yeah. I wouldn't keep McCarron at all either. Uh, Taylon Jones. Yeah, absolutely. Great special teamer. I, I you know, I, depending on the contract, I would absolutely bring him back. DeAndre Carter. Whatever. I, I couldn't keep him around after the fumble last oh, year. Yeah. He can't yeah. stay. He can't yeah. stay at all. Uh, Jonathan Joseph. He wants to no. come back. No, you've had enough of it. Love you, bro, but man, you're you're done. What if they have 56 roster spots? No, done. Okay, I agree with you too. Uh, Barcavius Mingo, big play Mingo, as you say. <laughs> I, would, I would keep him. He blocked the punt. He made a lot of special teams plays. I also just like the idea of him like staying around too, just because of the clowny trade. I, I would be fine with it. I mean, he is what he is. He's a special teamer at this point of his career. I'm definitely going to get a big play Mingo shirts he made for $37, <laughs> whatever is the, the Texans team shop charges. Uh, Jaleel Adai, would you keep him around? I would. I would, because he played decently, and the guy gets really excited. He seems like he's a good leader out on the field. And it's a and it's a position we wouldn't have to address in the draft. I would keep him around. Yeah, we'll we'll look at other safety options available too um, here in a second. But as of now, I think he'd be fine if they keep him around for one year or whatever. Uh, swing tackles: Chris Clark, Robert Johnson, the JV guys who had a really good week in practice. Who the coach asked for more to keep splitting time with. I would absolutely keep Roderick Johnson around. I think he still has some upside, and he did not embarrass himself. Yeah, Chris it, Clark did. Johnson's not a good pass blocker, but he can make some second little blocks and on the outside zone plays, and he can do some movement on the in the run game. And like I think he has enough foundation as an athlete that you could teach him how to pass block some more. And also, like I'm just tired of seeing Chris Clark on this team. Like, oh yeah, totally. Like that has been the most annoying thing about being a Texans fan this past decade, where it's like these guys who are bad just don't go away; <laughs> they just keep popping back up again and again and again. Uh, Dylan Cole. I think I don't think Dylan Cole is that good, but a lot of people tend to I, love him. I, I don't think he's that good either. So I would be happy letting him walk. It's kind of like the Mike Muhammad thing. Like I remember Brett being like, yeah. yeah, Houston really missed Mike Muhammad last year. It's like, no, they didn't. He's not good. And I kind of feel the same way about Dylan Cole. It's like, yeah, they missed him. Uh, he was like, I had the podcast with Kenneth last week. 
and we talked with the rookie review, he's talking about how like Cole was very instrumental in uh, the win over Kansas City with how they covered Kelsey. I was like, uh, I don't know. I mean, like he played some short hook zones, but like Kelsey was just had like a bad, lot of bad luck that game where they had the penalty that the two penalties yeah. that weren't called. They had those two drops, you know, I really don't think Cole had a lot to do with that. I don't think Cole's that good. So and he's always hurt. And I think having a third linebacker could actually cover and be very valuable for this defense. Yep. So I think, I think personally I have, I would keep Mingo. I would keep Johnson. I would keep a die. I wouldn't keep Roby. Instead, I would look to have a scheme change for cornerback plays. And everything else here, I would say no. See ya. That's how I feel personally. There's a lot that's really fungible. I mean, I really like DJ Reader. I admit it. I think he could do a lot more than... He could He could create a lot more havoc if he's used the right way. I just think he needs people around him. I mean, you can say that about a lot of guys, but like, I wouldn't say that about Brandon Dunn. I would say that about Angela Blackson. I think DJ Reader could create a lot of pressure on the inside if he has some help on the outside, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I think teams are able to pick up on that, that look, you just you take Reader out of the play and Merciless is not going to get to me and, you know, nobody else is going to get to me either. Yeah. So you t- take him out. That's interesting. Yeah, just slide your prediction over to Reader. I may watch a little bit of film for like 45 minutes tomorrow morning and, and check that out and see if that's what teams are doing. Just slide their protection scheme over to him, make sure they always have two guys around him. And so Matt's saying this while running his fingers through his lush hair. <sighs> it's nasty. It's a rat it's- nest. Oh my god, it's so sexy. I feel like I should be playing uh <laughs> like right wing for the Calgary Flames, you know. Pretty pretty much. But like on the fourth line. Mullet. On the fourth line. Yeah. 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 Now <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna get a haircut whenever before I go to the desert as a symbolic thing. And I'll drink a beer immediately afterwards. Uh so next one we have here, potential cuts. I have Zach Fulton at seven million, Senior Calamente at three point two five million, Angelo Blacks at four million, Will Fuller. His fifth-year option is $10 million. They could get rid of it or maybe trade him if they wanted to and maybe keep somebody who actually didn't get injured every once in a while. So are you? would you cut Fulton? Would you make any cuts here? Would you look to trade Fuller? Uh, how would you approach these five players? I don't think you have a choice. I think you have to keep Fulton because, I mean, he's, what are we going to draft? He's good. He's not awful. He's, he's good. Fine. It's just, yeah. I guess it's just like it's hard to stomach paying a guard $7 million if he's not great, you know? Right. And I think you don't have a choice. I mean, if your entire offense really hinges around Will Fuller being alive, number one, that says a lot about your offense. But number two, you've got to pay the guy if it that's really true. And so I think you have to keep those two guys. Calamante and Blackson, I I don't know if the Brandon Dunn signing is is like RIP on Blackson, but I would be rid of both those guys as quickly as I could be. Hey, that's special teams player of the month, Angela Blackson. Oh my god. Don't even. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would keep Fulton mainly because, like, look, he's not terrible. He's not great. He's fine. He's not as good as he was in Kansas City. He was a much better player there. Like, it's also incredible how Kansas City can just turn anybody into a competent interior offensive lineman. Like, they took Austin Ryder, Stefan Wisniewski after he'd been cut, and uh, and Devarney Tardiff, and this 49ers right. get any pressure at all in the interior the entire game. And this was like a team that whose interior pressure was killing them around like week 12 or so. And it's unbelievable how they're able to do that consistently. And there, I think the other important thing about Fulton too, it's the Texans finally after since what, 2016, they finally have the chance to go into a season and be like, this is our offensive line. We have Tunsil, 
Sharping, Martin, Fulton, Howard. These are our five guys, and we're not going to dick around, and we're not going to pull this guy here, move this guy here, and bench this guy here, and start this guy here, and play 12 different offensive line combinations. And so I think that's the reason why I would really like to keep Fulton around too, just for continuity purposes for the first time. I agree with and, that. And even that line 16 too, like it became great once they all got healthy, but they still, uh, but Brand Brooks had injuries to start the year. Mm-hmm. I think Newton started banged up too. And it wasn't until that Cincinnati game when they won 13, seven, whatever that they had, you know, Brown, Suofio, uh, Jones, Brooks and Newton all starting at the same time. And like, that was the best part of their offense that year. And that was the last time they had a really good offensive line. So I think they have the opportunity this year for it. But yeah, I would cut Calamente. You have the same thing in Manx. I would cut Blackson as well, too. He doesn't he can't rush the passer. He was a bad sign last year. He's bad this year. I would keep Fuller. I've heard some ideas like we'll sign Robbie Anderson because he's healthy and then get rid of Fuller. But I think Fuller's too good and there's too much of like an upside with him. But I think if you were gonna get rid of Fuller, you try to trade him for a second round pick or so. This wouldn't be a guy that you would just cut for cap space purposes. He has value. You don't lose. You don't. You pay zero dead money if you trade him. I think you even maybe get like maybe a fringe first, uh, early second round pick for him. Like let's say like, I don't know if you are the New York Giants for example. Like would you trade a second round pick for Will Fuller? And I think they would think about it. They would. I, I think he's got a lot more value to the Texans at ten million a year. You can see you can let him play that contract and see how it rolls out. I, I don't I I would not I mean I would sign him to that fifth year option. I would not trade him. I would keep him around, see what he does. I think he's got more value to the team that way. Yeah, and they have him on the fifth year option, but they could get rid of it because he's not hurt. Right. But if he's hurt, they're stuck with it. So they that's why they cut Vernon Hargreaves. So I mean that's that's probably that's the most valuable asset they have this season is uh is Will Fuller at ten million a year. But yeah, I would keep him. I think he's too important. And like you're a team that is supposed to win a super or play for a Super Bowl this year, and you don't do that without Will Fuller. Yeah, and we don't hit salary cap hell really until twenty twenty one. Yeah, so that's why that ten million doesn't mean a whole lot to me. And you get the chance too to maybe that hernia surgery fixed him, and maybe at that point too, like you say, okay, he had a healthy sixteen games, and we can keep him for you know twenty one moving forward because he's part of that Tunsil, you know Watson decision. He's wrapped up in those three as well. Um, oh yeah. The last thing they have here. Is JJ Watt has a cap hit fifteen point five million. He's gonna be thirty one years old this season. Would you want to try renegotiate that contract? Maybe he's gonna be he, maybe make that to like two thousand twenty two or twenty three. Turn this into a bonus and pay him only eight million dollars this year and create you know seven million dollars in cap space or so. Would that be something that you would be looking at doing, or are you just try to pay him this for this year? Absolutely. I I would with the knowledge. I would do whatever it takes to know that. In 2021, 2022, I'm going to be facing salary cap hell. So let's do whatever we can to help us with that. Mm-hmm. So based on all these decisions here, I think we would probably add about $17 million or so by making these cuts, by keeping Watt. They have $63 million right now. That's $80. Let's take away you know, $6 million for re-signings and say he still probably have about like somewhere between 70, 70 and 74 maybe $80 million, somewhere between 70 and 80 uh, if we include the bump up in the salary cap for next year, which we don't know. But I, I think we could be able to say they'd have like about 77 or so entering the actual free agency period whenever you know, March 14th rolls around. That was part one of our two-part Houston Texans 2020 offseason preview here at Battle Red Radio. In part two, we'll take a look at roster cuts that could occur 
as well as unrestricted free agents, the Houston Texans can sign to improve their team for 2020 and moving forward. In the meantime, make sure to like, subscribe, give the podcast five stars, leave a cute little review. That way, it will be impossible to miss part two of this 2020 Houston Texans preview. Until next time, I'm Matt Weston, and thank you for listening to Balrick Radio.